Season 1, Episode 5. This is Black History Moments, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of those who have been forgotten or who have become footnotes in history. I really created this podcast to shed a light on their stories, to let you all know some of the history that has been forgotten or that was never taught in the first place. I do want to say thank you to those that have reached out to me over the course of the weeks that have been unfolding, not only in our country, the United States, but also across the globe. My heart and my mind is with each and every one of you. I appreciate you for seeking out more information, more knowledge on these topics and to really Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is doing the actual work, the actual research that is going to take to understand the story and the history of black people in this country and the different struggles that we have had to overcome throughout time. So thank you. I am going to stop talking very soon because I am very excited about this story today because this is the story of Claudette Colvin. I'm pretty sure you may have not heard this story before because to be honest, I just learned about her this year. This is not someone that we learn about in our history books. So I'm so excited to share her story with you all right after this break from our sponsor. As many of us know, during the civil rights movement, one of the crucial events was the Montgomery bus boycotts. And I'm almost positive that when I just said Montgomery bus boycotts, one of the first individuals that you may have thought about was Rosa Parks, which is completely understandable. She's throughout all of our history books. When I was in school, she was on every teacher's wall in every classroom because she was a hero. And that is true. But did you know that nine months before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on that bus, there was a 15-year-old girl named Claudette Colvin who refused to do it first. Claudette was born September 5th, 1939, and I may be jumping ahead of myself when I say this, but she is still alive today. But she was born September 5th, 1939 in Montgomery, Alabama. Now, although Claudette grew up in the lower income black neighborhood in Montgomery, she went to Booker T. Washington High School, which was the black school at the time. And she was an active member of the NAACP Youth Council. She was actively involved in other groups around her school. She was very interested in her grades. She made all A's and she just really loved learning and she loved everything about education. One of her aspirations, actually, she wanted to grow up and be president of the United States, which is crazy to think about even back in 1939. Um, Wow, 1939, there was a little black girl dreaming about being president of the United States. So the girl was going places. So on March 2nd, 1955, it was really at the end of Negro History Month. So we know Black History Month now is in February. Back then it was still in February, but it was referred to as Negro History Month. At Claudette School, Booker T. Washington High School, they were studying different leaders. They studied Harriet Tubman, they studied Sojourner Truth, and others during Negro History Month. So Claudette was so immersed with all of these different stories of all of these different leaders, especially female and women leaders, and she was just inspired by everything that she was learning in the classroom. It just so happened that one day Claudette gets on the bus after school and she's on her way home. 
As she boards the bus, Claudette pays her fare just like everyone else, and she sits in the colored section of the bus, which was in the back of the bus. Now, one thing about back then during segregation, even if you sat in the colored section as a black person, if the bus became too full and other white people needed to sit down, you would have to give up your seat in the colored section in order for them to sit down in that section. And you would have to stand up until the seat either opened up or until your next stop came because you couldn't sit next to them and you couldn't sit with them. So that is what happened on this particular day. As Claudette is sitting in the color section of the bus, the bus becomes too full. So when a white woman got onto the bus, she was left standing in the front. The bus driver, his name was Robert W. Clear, he told Claudette and three other black women that were sitting in her row to move back. So while the other three women moved back, another pregnant woman, she got on and she sat next to Claudette Colvin on this bus. And the bus driver, he looks at them again and he's like, I told you guys to get up, get up and let this woman have your seat. The pregnant woman, her name was Miss Hamilton. She refused to get up and she's like, you know, I paid my fare. I don't feel like standing. I'm pregnant. And Claudette is inspired by what this pregnant woman is saying, Miss Hamilton. So she told him, well, I'm not getting up either. And he was like, if you're not going to get up, I'm going to call the police to come and arrest you. And Claudette recalled later that she felt like the spirit of Harriet Tubman was on her right shoulder, pushing her down into the seat. And the spirit of Sojourner Truth was pushing her left shoulder, pushing her down into the seat even more. Because the pregnant woman, Miss Hamilton, she eventually got up and moved further back in the bus, but Claudette refused to move until the policeman came and made her move. Now, before the policeman got there, Claudette said that she was remembering all of the talks that her and her classmates had had during class about the different experiences that they were having under Jim Crow segregation laws. And she actually recalled that they couldn't try on clothes, they had to take a brown paper bag and draw a trace of their actual foot and take that trace to a store because they couldn't try on shoes. So the store clerks would match up the different shoes with this drawing, this trace of their foot on a brown paper bag. Can you imagine living like that, not being able to go inside a store and try on shoes? And she remembered how they wouldn't be able to sit at certain lunch counters and how they would have to enter different doorways labeled color. So all of these things were just flushing over her, which was what inspired her even more so to not give up her seat on the bus that day. So eventually the police show up. And they arrest Claudette. But while they are arresting her, she is shouting to the top of her lungs that it is her constitutional right that she be able to sit where she was sitting because she paid her fare just like everyone else. And she just kept shouting that it was her constitutional right because she was just so inspired by everything that she had learned during Negro History Month in school. It just shows that she was actually paying attention in class that month. As I told you, she was a straight A student. She loved school. She loved learning. So she was putting the education to action. So she gets arrested and on her way down to the police station, it started to sink in with Claudette. What have I done? What have I done? Because back then, police, well, 
I mean, I may be able to say the same thing about today, but back then police would rape victims. They would rape women that they would arrest, especially black women. So she started to get very nervous. She was 15 years old. Her classmates that were on the bus actually went to her mom's job. Her mom was a maid and she kept these children at a home. So they ran to the house where her mom was working and they're telling her, Claudette has just been arrested. You have to go to the jail. We will watch the kids until everything is figured out. So she left Claudette's classmates with the children that she was watching. She called her minister, her pastor on the phone. He came to the house, picked her up, and they both drove to the jail to see about Claudette. While Claudette is in the police car on her way to the jail, the policemen were making inappropriate comments about her body. They took turns guessing what her bra size was. Remind you that this is a 15-year-old child. And actually, some people said later that the one thing that may have saved Claudette from being sexually assaulted that day by those police officers was the fact that her voice was so high-pitched it sounded like a little child. So that may have been the one thing that saved her during that time from her arrest to the police station. So Claudette gets to the police station. They put her in a cell until her minister and her mother come and bail her out. And that is when the public legal battle started for Claudette Colvin. Claudette was charged with several different things, but one of the main ones was violating Montgomery's segregation laws on the bus. The NAACP at the time actually considered Claudette's case to be that staple case for the civil rights movement and the bus boycott during that time. But the fact that she was so young, they felt like she was not reliable because she was 15 years old. They kind of decided against that. Now, working at the NAACP during this time was a woman named Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks was a secretary in the office in Montgomery, Alabama at the time, and several letters started to cross her desk about this little girl, this little 15-year-old named Claudette Colvin. And all of these letters, she would be processing and she would be reading them, and all of these writers will be saying that we support Claudette, Claudette, tell her we love her, tell her she has all of our support, we're behind her 100%. So their ears started to perk up about what was happening with the bus boycott and the civil rights movement at the time. Now, let me jump back a little bit because Claudette declared um, herself not guilty to the charges that she was facing and they ruled against her and put her on probation. And although she was only on probation in the court of public opinion, she was guilty in everyone's eyes because of the fact that this once 15-year-old girl who was bright, who was smart, who was excited about becoming the first black woman president of the United States, she was now deemed as a troublemaker. She was seen as being too mouthy because she stood up to authority. Um, and I mean, all of the things that we may see as a good thing now, people didn't see them as a good thing back then. Also, while all of this is happening, Claudette becomes pregnant by a much older man who was married, so that didn't help at all, but she did give birth to her son, Raymond, the following year, March 1956, which was a year later. So, 
Jumping back to Rosa Parks, getting all of these letters in support of Claudette Colvin, what a lot of people don't realize about Rosa Parks is that when she decided to sit on the bus that day, that was not a coincidence. It was not just happenstance. It was thought about. It was executed because it was thought about way in advance. And many people believe that Claudette Colvin is the person that actually inspired Rosa Parks to sit on the bus that day. So here is one piece of fact that I found extremely interesting and also disheartening. But when they were trying to find a person to be the face of the movement. They needed someone to be the face of the bus boycotts in Montgomery, Alabama. They decided that one, that they didn't want Claudette Colvin to be that face because she had become pregnant. She was unwed. She was young. They said that she was mouthy. But what I found most disheartening was the fact that they said that she was too dark. They said that Rosa Parks had the look of someone that they wouldn't necessarily mess with or bother during this movement. She had a brighter complexion. She had a, a finer textured hair because what we now refer to as texturism in the black community where one person's hair is not the same texture as another person's hair, one may be seen as more desirable or more beautiful in this case they felt like Rosa Parks hair fit the mold that they wanted to have at the time so it I mean imagine being 15 years old and grown adults telling you that you're too dark you're a little too mouthy you're pregnant by a married man and you also don't have the hair texture to be the face of this movement. I can't imagine how that may have made her feel back then. And despite all of this, in 1956, she actually went on to become one of the plaintiffs in the Browder versus Gale case, which was a ruling for Montgomery's segregated bus system. And they eventually won in 1956, and they decided that it was unconstitutional, the segregated bus system in Montgomery. Two years later, Claudette moved to New York City. She had dropped out of school because it just became a little too much. Um, it was a lot of pressure from people around town. People didn't look at her the same anymore and she couldn't really keep up or really return to life as normal. So she moved to New York City two years later after that. So in 1958 and she had her first son and she also had her second son there. His name was Randy and she works as well. She worked as a nurse's aide in Manhattan and she retired in 2004 but I did want to tell you all a little bit more about her and Rosa's relationship because after all of this happened Claudette was still a young girl and Rosa knew you know Claudette inspired Rosa to sit on the bus that day because before Rosa there was Claudette and all of these letters would come through that Rosa was processing and Rosa also kind of knew what Claudette was going through so they built a bond and she would go to Rosa Parks's house and Rosa would make sandwiches for her and she would just sit and talk with her and just be like a listening ear for her to have during this time because again I can't imagine how difficult that would have been for 
a 15-year-old in the 1950s to really spark a major movement but not be able to be the face of that same movement. As an adult, Claudette Colvin really stayed out of the limelight, which is one of the reasons that we don't even know that she's still alive today. To have a civil rights hero still walking this earth with us really is amazing when you think about it. But I did want to read you all a excerpt from this book, which is about her and the name of it is Twice Towards Justice. There is a copy of it on Amazon. I believe the hardcover is $10 and I wanted to share that with you all just in case it's something that you were interested in picking up to read more on for yourself. Um, again, the name of that book is Twice Towards Justice, but I wanted to read you this excerpt from the book and it says one of them said to the driver in a very angry tone who is it the motorman pointed at me I heard him say that's nothing new I've had trouble with that thing before he called me a thing they came to me and stood over me and one said aren't you going to get up I said no sir he shouted get up again I started crying but I felt even more defiant I kept saying over and over in my high-pitched voice, it's my constitutional right to sit here as much as that lady. I paid my fare. It is my constitutional right. I knew I was talking back to a white policeman, but I had had enough. One cop grabbed one of my hands and his partner grabbed the other, and they pulled me straight up out of my seat. My books went flying everywhere. I went limp as a baby. I was too smart to fight back. They started dragging me towards the back of the bus. One of them kicked me. I might have scratched one of them because I had long nails, but I sure didn't fight back. I kept screaming over and over. It is my constitutional right. I wasn't shouting anything profane. I never swore. Not then, not ever. I was shouting out my rights. It just killed me to leave the bus. I hated to give that white woman my seat when so many black people were standing. I was crying hard. The cops put me in the back of a police car and shut the door. They stood outside and talked to each other for a minute, and then one came back and told me to stick my hands out the open window. He handcuffed me and then pulled the door open and jumped in the back seat with me. I put my knees together and crossed my hands over my lap and started praying. All right long, they swore at me and ridiculed me. They took turns trying to guess my bra size. They called me n-word b-word and crack jokes about parts of my body i recited the lord's prayer in the 23rd psalm over and over again in my head trying to push back the fear i assumed they were taking me to juvenile court because i was only 15 i was thinking now i'm gonna be picking cotton since that's how they do punish juveniles they put you in a school out in the country where they made you do field work during the day but we were going in the wrong direction they kept telling me I was going to Atmore, the women's penitentiary. Instead, we pulled up to the police station and they let me inside. More cops looked up when we came in and started calling me thing and whore. They booked me and took my fingerprints. Then they put me in the back of the car and drove me to the city jail, the adult jail. Someone led me straight to a cell without giving me any chance to make a phone call. He opened the door and told me to get inside. He shut it hard behind me and turned the key. The lock fell into place with a heavy sound. It was the worst sound I ever heard. It sounded final. It said I was trapped. When he went away, I looked around me. 
three bare walls, a toilet, and a cot. Then I fell down on my knees in the middle of the cell and started crying. I didn't know if anyone knew where I was or what had happened to me. I had no idea how long I would be there. I cried and I put my hands together and I prayed like I had never prayed before. So after this, that is when Claudette's classmates, as I told you guys earlier, went to find her mom. And that is how her mom and the Reverend found out where she was. Continuing Claudette's quote, but I was afraid that night too. I had stood up to a white bus driver and two white cops. I had challenged the bus law. Just in case this sounds out of context, this is after um, they have bailed her out of jail and she was talking about how afraid she was while she was there and now she's saying that she was still afraid after she had gotten out because of what had occurred earlier. All right, back to the quote. She says, there had been lynchings and cross burnings for that kind of thing. With Tumpka Highway that led out of Montgomery ran right past our house, it would have been easy for the clan to come up the hill in the night. Dad sat up all night long with his shotgun. We all stayed up. The neighbors facing the highway kept watch. Probably nobody on King Hill slept that night. But worried or not, I felt proud. I had stood up for our rights. I had done something a lot of adults hadn't done. On the ride home from jail, coming over the viaduct, Reverend Johnson had said something to me that I will never forget. He was an adult who everyone respected and his opinion meant a lot to me. Claudette, he said, I'm so proud of you. Everyone prays for freedom. We've all been praying and praying, but you're different. You want your answer the next morning. And I think that you just brought the revolution to Montgomery. End quote. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope that you all will seek out more information on Claudette Colvin to learn more about her and her story. And also, if you hear anyone talking about Rosa Parks and her story, just share the story of Claudette Colvin with them as well to just give everyone a little more insight on her story and how she really kicked off the Montgomery bus boycott. Remember that you too are Black history. Remember to take care of your health, your mental health, and your spiritual health during this time. Again, my thoughts and my heart is with you. Next week's episode is falling on Juneteenth. And if you don't know what Juneteenth is, just tune in next week, next Friday for that episode because we're going to be giving the history of Juneteenth. See you guys next week. Bye.